0: awesome hey welcome to the house of God we're glad to have you at pursuit uh, with us uh, this morning special welcome to all of our online members tuning in really from around the world today as well hey one thing I wanted to put on your radar just real briefly tonight is our official July preview service happening in downtown Seattle it's actually happening at a brand new location and we're super excited to be able to host folks and more importantly, host the presence of God. It's at an incredible building. It's actually one of the most historic buildings in all of Seattle. It's one of the oldest churches to ever be in the city. And it's two blocks away from the University of Washington. And in fact, it's right on this road that they call Frat Row. It's where all the Greek fraternities are. And so while you're walking down Frat Row, it's like they got all their red solo cups and beer pong tables, it's like a, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like entire road, and then there's the church. And so I thought, man, what a better location for us to put a stake in the ground as we contend for revival and reformation all across the Northwest. Now, something that's interesting about this building, it had been around for about 100 years, but actually how it was started and how it was built was as what they call a Christian Science Church. Now, you might not know about Christian scientists, but it's like if Jehovah's Witness got married to scientologists and had a baby out pop christian scientists it's neither christian nor science but they did know how to build really beautiful buildings and so anyways they've been in seattle about a hundred years uh and they recently sold that property and and so we're just going to rent it for a night and uh, we're excited to pack this place out you know buildings like this it costs millions and millions of dollars to build them this way today but uh, i thought man what a beautiful location and really a strategic prophetic location for the church to gather and so we're going to be excited tonight 6 p.m parking is limited as always and so you will want to show up early and make sure you get a good seat hey one more thing next week next week is a very important day here at pursuit it is membership sunday where we will be welcoming all of our brand new members to the house of god and so if you're sitting here today and you have not yet filled out our online membership covenant we're going to encourage you to do so We've got friends really from all across the nation who are a part even of our online campus who become Pursuit members. And we want to welcome you into the community of God. It's our belief that every Christian needs a place that they call home. And uh, so we're encouraging people, if you haven't already, go to the website, sign up for membership, and come be a part of what God is doing here in a more formal fashion here at The Pursuit. Hey, this morning I'm going to share with you a sermon out of the book of 1 Samuel. First Samuel. And we're going to start in chapter 3. I really believe that it's a prophetic sermon that will help give you insight to where we're at as a church and where we're at as a nation. And what I believe God by His Spirit is raising up in this hour. Listen, we are contending for and believing for that our best days are not behind us, but ahead of us, that God has just begun to pour out his spirit. We are barely even now scratching the surface of how good God is gonna be to the Northwest. And we get to be a part of that. We get to celebrate that. When the church gathers, we are celebrating the goodness of God in the land of the living. And friend, tonight will be no different. I so sovereignly believe that what we have seen in part on the North, end we will see an even greater measure on the south end if God can do it in Snohomish if he can do it in Seattle there is not one city or one people group that is too hard for God to reach and I'm just believing that when pursuit drives a stake into the ground not only is it gonna impact what happens on those nights but I'm just foolish enough to believe that God could send revival to the University of Washington I'm just foolish enough to believe that God can reach tens of thousands of young people with the gospel isn't it interesting that now? now? Now we live in a part of the world where people travel from the nations of the earth to attend. And so sometimes with missions, we go to the nations. Other times with missions, God sends the nations to us. And I just want you to know that you're a part of a house that's going to have an international impact, not for our glory, but for His. That people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would find faith in the risen Savior They would pledge their allegiance to the one who was not voted in and cannot be voted out, whose values are not up for popular approval or political persuasion that they would find their home in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going after. That's what tonight's about. And friend, that's what you have signed up for. We're not playing just safe, nice little church. We are not doing Christian karaoke on a Sunday morning. This is not some sort of pseudo-religious philanthropic rotary club. This is not just a place for you to attend to feel better about your religious life, to scratch another box off of your list of religious duties. No, we are hosting an encounter with the holy where people's lives are transformed for eternity. And that's why pursuit matters. It is a church for such a time as this. Let me preach for a little bit this morning. 1 Samuel 3, starting in verse 1. Watch what the Bible says. The Bible says this. Now the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. In fact, it was so rare there was no widespread revelation. And Samuel ministered to the Lord and yet the word of the Lord was rare. Samuel was a son born out of a desperate prayer from a woman named Hannah, who sought a miracle from the Lord in the temple. In the time period in which this book is written, for a woman to be barren was seen as a curse from God. But there was something in Hannah's spirit that would not quit knocking until a door was opened unto her. See, Samuel was born during a time of great conflict for the nation of Israel. The Philistines was attacking. The nation lacked the clarity or courage to make the right governmental decisions. The priesthood was corrupt. The spiritual leaders were asleep and the entire nation teetered on war and moral bankruptcy. Does that sound familiar? But see, there was a woman named Hannah who refused to be denied. Hear me, friend. History belongs to the intercessors. History belongs to women like Hannah who simply will not move on until God does exactly what he has promised to do. There have been intercessors huddled in secret corners all across this region praying for what we are now experiencing. An entire remnant of holy people who have caught a glimpse of God's heart and have made it their life's mission to contend in prayer for the promises of the Father. The nation was descending into chaos. But there was a woman named Hannah who knew how to pray. The people of God was surrounded by their foreign enemies. But there was a woman named Hannah who grabbed a hold of the hem of his garment and refused to let go. The temple was corrupt with sin and compromise. But there was a woman named Hannah who was contending for a promise. And she would not quit asking until God started answering. Oh, I have great confidence today knowing that we got prayer warriors who got our back. I have courage today knowing that we got intercessors who will not take no for an answer. I've got humility today knowing that we are now beginning to see the result of grandmas and grandpas all across this region who have committed themselves to be known in heaven and are making a way in the wilderness for the next generation through intercession and prayer. You should have never made it as far as you did, but you had a Hannah who was praying for you. And here's my prayer that God would raise up Hannah's in this region so that he could release Samuels in our nation. Prophetic voices that will cause a shift in the church, the government, and the nation. And that's why the prophet Amos says in Amos three and seven, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without first revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit of God would say to the church. The Bible says Hannah went to the temple to pray. She was so moved in her spirit that Eli the priest thought she was drunk. She said, I am not drunk, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. It reminds me of the way that Peter responds to the crowds on the day of Pentecost. He said, even men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. They've been filled with the new wine of the spirit. In fact, what Joel prophesied in generations past is now being fulfilled in your midst. For God by his spirit is being poured out on old flesh, on old flesh, on young and old, on men and women, on Jew and Gentile, on servant and maidservant, that all could now experience the fullness of his glory. It's interesting to me because I feel like we receive The same type of feedback from religious drive-by critics in our region as well. They'll say things like this. This is just emotionalism. Just loud music. Just fancy lights. You just talk real loud. Well, we do all that too. But no, friend, this is a sovereign move of God's spirit. And this is what it looks like for people to respond to the holy. I want you to see the pattern of ministry. In both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. See if you can see the pattern. First Samuel 2 and 11. And the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord. First Samuel 2 and 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord. First Samuel 3 and 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord. Exodus 29 and 1. Aaron ministered before the Lord. Deuteronomy 10 and 18. The tribe of Levi was set apart to minister to the Lord. Acts 13 and 2. The disciples ministered before the Lord. Hear me, friend. Ministry is first what we offer God before we ever expect to receive anything from man. Friend, you didn't come to church so that someone can minister to you. You came to church so that you can minister to him. And when I minister to him, it creates room in my heart for me to receive ministry from others why because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive see we have it backwards in church it is not what can this place do for me it is instead what first can i do to minister to him see friend the god who has everything desires something he desires your attention your affection your service your free will decision to honor him with your time your talent your treasure Could he command it? Yes. But it becomes worship when you freely offer it. See, the Hebrew word for ministered in this context is the word sherath. It means to attend, to serve, to wait upon in the sense of a waiter serving an individual at a restaurant. See, in the temple, the priests were often assigned practical duties things that didn't really seem spiritual in nature. They had to trim the wicks of the lamps, remove ashes from the burnt offerings, put out showbread, set up lampstands, clean the altars, open the doors. But it was ministry unto the Lord because it helped create an environment for people to interact with the Almighty. See friend, there is no insignificant task as it pertains to ministering to the Lord. When you direct traffic in this parking lot, friend, you are ministering to God. When you clean these floors after a pursuit night, friend, you are ministering to the Lord. When you run words on the screen for worship, you are ministering to the Almighty. When you hold babies in that nursery, not only are you holding the future of the church, you are ministering unto God. When you sow financially into this house, you are ministering unto the Lord. See, the number one reason why people become bored in their faith is because they expect the church to minister to them before they have first made time to minister to him see friend I don't exist for your entertainment I exist for your development I am a co-laborer in Christ Jesus whose primary job is to model ministry under the Almighty and you know before you ever get into this building the worship team is practicing the prayer team is praying The facility team is cleaning. The volunteer teams are gathering. Watch, they are ministering to the Lord before the service ever starts. See, when people walk in, they say things like this. Oh, this atmosphere just feels different. I don't know what it is about it, but I come in here and it's like, this place is buzzing with expectation and anticipation. I've been to a lot of other places, but I feel something here I haven't ever felt before. See, I know what they're describing. Because before the service ever starts, the ministry has already begun. Watch what David says in the book of Psalms. Praise the Lord, all you servants of God, who minister by night in the house of our Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you servants of Yahweh. You who minister in the house of our God. See, in these verses, the word minister is translated from a different Hebrew word. This word means to stand, to abide, to continue, to remain, to tarry, to stay up. Do you know that sometimes your ministry looks like serving? Sometimes your ministry looks like singing. Sometimes your ministry looks like sewing and other times your ministry looks like standing. After I've done everything to stand, I refuse to give up. See, it's sometimes it's your stubborn refusal to give up that becomes the greatest way that you will ever bless or move the heart of the Father. And watch the end of verse one. It's an indictment on the entire nation of Israel. It says, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare and there was no widespread revelation. Hear me. When a church lacks biblical fidelity, when a culture lacks biblical clarity, when a people group lacks biblical awareness, there you will find a lack of revelation an inability for vision and a disregard for truth. But as soon as you interject the word of God, it calls men to account. I know you got a political opinion, but what about the word? I know you got a sexual identity, but what about the word? I know you got a preference, an idea, a worldview. I know you read a book, saw a TikTok, interviewed a person, but friend, what about the word? See, the word of God becomes the canon by which all other ideas, philosophies, opinions, and preferences are judged. Listen, our culture is on a collision course with the text. No amount of nuance, maneuvering, theological gymnastics, or unhitching from scripture can prevent you from the conflict that is coming. As the culture lurches towards paganism, the scriptures compel us towards fidelity. You must choose which master you serve. Either you will serve the gods of culture, or you will serve the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, I believe that this verse is actually a prophetic description of where the Western church is at. I've heard pastors give 12-week sermons on critical race theory without ever mentioning the word of God once. I've heard spiritual leaders lament the end of Roe v. Wade because they didn't wanna upset their communities without ever mentioning the word of God once. When our pastors become little more than echoes of whatever is culture's most popular heresy, you know we're in trouble. See, when you're a man or woman of the word, it gives you God's perspective on life's events so that you can properly contextualize whatever season you're in. It's no wonder David says, your word, it is a lamp unto my feet and it is the light unto my path. See, without the light of the gospel, we are left with cheap imitations that leave us stumbling along in a sea of confusion. Friend, hear me as a pastor. Beware of any theology that reduces the authority of the word. Beware of any movement that diminishes the inspiration of the word. Run from false teachers who will not rightfully divide the word. Hear me, we are messengers. We are not editors. And here's what I found. The only people who want to change the Bible are those who have been unchanged by it. I can promise you this, if you find a problem in the scripture, the problem isn't the scripture, the problem is you. Here's what I love about the Bible. It could care less what your preferred pronouns are it could care less what your skin color is. It could care less what that professor at that secular university thinks. It stands alone as the exhaustive revelation of the Father. It equally offends all different types of sinners and most importantly calls us into the followership of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch what it says in verse two. And it came to pass while Eli was laying down in his place, when his eyes had begun to grow dim, so that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out into the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, with the three most important words that any believer can ever utter to the Almighty. Here I am. See, in the temple, one of the jobs of the priest was to keep the lamp burning until the sun would rise so that at no time would there be darkness in the house of god for where there is darkness in the temple there is chaos in the culture friend this is a wake-up call for the church doesn't it feel like the lamp of god is growing dim doesn't it feel like the eyes of the priests are growing heavy doesn't it feel like the old guard is beginning to shift Doesn't this feel like an opportunity for the Samuel generation to rise up and say, this is our hour to unashamedly be everything that God has asked us to be. And see the here I am response is one of the major themes in scripture. In Genesis 22, Abraham responds to the voice of God by saying, here I am. In Genesis 46, Jacob responds to a vision from God by saying, Here I am. It happens with Moses. It happens with Isaiah. It happens with Ananias. Over and over and over again in scripture, God calls individuals and they respond with a three word invitation, here I am. I'm not perfect, but I'm available. I don't know what the future holds, but I'll say yes. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm gonna choose to trust you. I know I don't deserve it, but if you call my name, I'm simply gonna believe you your word and god i am just here to say here i am you know theologians believe that samuel was 12 years old when this story is being told what i love about this story is the lord calls samuel four times before he knew it was god friend aren't you grateful for a god who hasn't given up on calling your name He began calling your name a long time ago and you are just now finally beginning to recognize that it was the voice of the Father all along. When you wanted to give up, when you was trapped in desperation and despair, when your mind was clouded with thoughts of suicide and self-harm, when you thought that you could never recover, you could never be loved, you could never move on, there was a voice from the Father that was calling you by name. You didn't recognize it. You didn't know it. You didn't know that it was the voice of the Heavenly Father, but the one who framed and formed you in your mother's womb has numbered the hairs on your head and numbered the days of your life, knows your name, and he has been beckoning you from eternity past and as you feel that thing in the deep part of your heart begin to search out for some sense of existential truth you better believe it's because the God of the universe has planted eternity in your soul and friend he has been calling you by name you are not a number to him you are a name You know how you learn to hear the voice of God? Through trial and error. See, I don't expect prophets to be perfect. I expect them to be teachable. But here's what i found. The more that I know his word, the more that I know his voice. You know, I have this unique thing. God speaks to me in an audible voice almost every week. You know that? You know how I hear him? I read my Bible out loud. See, some believers, they live their whole life chasing prophetic words. I believe in prophetic words. I give prophetic words. I've been on the receiving end of transformational prophetic words. But you got 66 books of prophetic words at your disposal. And this is why the enemy works overtime to keep you out of the word. Because when you know what the word says, when you know what the word declares, it gives you a courage and a boldness to be everything that God has asked you to be. And in a world filled with messaging from Babylonian systems, we have never needed more the clarion voice of God to echo in the chambers of our heart. Friend, you need biblical clarity more than you think you do verse 11, the Bible says this, the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel. It's gonna make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. And at that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I have spoken against his family from beginning to end. I want you to see something very important. Watch where the judgment started. It began first in the house of God you know that Samuel's first ever prophetic word is that God is going to kill Eli's sons and end Eli's ministry? And you think we have an unpopular message? Watch, the spiritual climate of the nation followed the spiritual climate of the temple. And until the temple could be cleansed, the nation couldn't be reached. I believe that we are in a prophetic time as the body of christ we are in a season of supernatural restructuring but once the body is aligned watch how the anointing begins to flow maybe the most profound commentary on the life of samuel comes from the chapter just previous to the one that we just read where the bible says of samuel that the lord was gracious to his mom hannah She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel, watch, grew up in the presence of the Lord. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with all people. Now you might recognize this verse because the gospel authors almost quote it word from word when they talk about Jesus. That Jesus grew in wisdom, favor, and stature with God and with men. Watch, there was a vertical development and there was a horizontal development. It wasn't either or, it was both and. But what I am struck by is that the author of 1 Samuel recounts that Samuel's life is ultimately impacted by this one coherent reality. He grew up in the presence of God. Listen, you can experience what is happening here like you experience an artifact when you go to a museum or you can experience what is happening here like you would experience the birth of a child. See, the birth of a child changes everything because your family system will never be the same. It changes everything because your value systems will never be the same. It changes everything because when a child is born, it isn't an artifact to be observed. Instead, it's a relationship to be developed. See, when we talk about raising our kids in revival, I am talking about this verse. Samuel grew up in the presence of God. It became a normal operational part of his everyday existence. I want my kids to think revival is normal because I grew up having to search the region to find it. We are not visiting in revival only to camp in religion. We are making this house his home. We are making this place a church where his glory dwells and where his anointing flows for the express purpose of seeing revival as a generational inheritance that we hand to our children's children don't you see that as a unique opportunity mom or dad don't you see that as a reason to give your life and your time your talent and your treasure to building the house of God that we have the opportunity to put a stake in the ground and say we will not lose our kids to the world. We will not lose the next generation to the heresy of Babylon. We will raise our kids in an outpouring of God's spirit and their lives will never be the same. That's why what we're doing here matters. We're going to grow them up in the presence of God. Oh, it's not enough to visit every once in a while. It's not enough just to hear the stories of history. It is not enough just to read a book about what what God used to do a hundred years ago, friend, we need a story of our own. And we're going to raise our kids in the presence of God to such a degree that hearing His voice is normal, feeling His presence is normal, receiving impartation at the altar is normal, healing signs and wonders are normal, casting out demons is normal, raising the dead is normal. Seeing God move in unmitigated ways all across this region isn't the exception to the rule, it's the rule. We are raising our kids in the presence of God. In fact, what we owe the generation who came before us is to run further than them. And what we owe the generation that will come after us is a head start to the things that we have plowed for. We're going to raise our kids in the presence of God. And in doing so, we're going to believe that God is releasing Samuels on the stage of history to function as prophetic voices that will call the church of Jesus Christ back to the high fidelity of Scripture in such a way that it leads to the transformation of culture. Listen, we have no business making comments about the world around us until Scripture anchors our souls within us. We get it right first in the house of God and then we say, God, allow this witness to permeate the region. Friends, it begins with us revival doesn't begin with the government it begins with you change doesn't begin with that politician it begins with you reformation doesn't begin when your guy or gal gets into the office it begins when men and women turn their hearts back to the almighty and say God here I am do what only you can do that is the call of this hour God raise up Hannah's who will pray and raise up Samuel's who will prophesy and for our inheritance that is who we are and that is the type of God that we serve come on let me pray for you today Father now in the mighty name of Jesus we ask for your ever present help in our time of need God we pledge our allegiance to the wounded lamb at the center of the universe who through him all things were created God you have our attention and our highest loyalty we pledge to follow you not just when times are easy but especially when times are tough God I'm asking you do not allow your lamp to go out in our temples God I pray that you would reawaken the priests who have almost fallen asleep That you would relight the fire on the altar of our hearts that you would reignite a passion for the things out of your word and god i pray that we would steward well what you give us so that by the time that we hand it off it has been pressed down shaken together and overflowing with the goodness of god god today we just say here i am now i don't know what the future holds I don't know what the Seattle campus looks like. I don't know how it's all gonna work. I don't know what this new journey of faith sounds like. I don't know how I'm gonna stay sober. I don't know how I'm gonna stay married. I don't know how I'm gonna stay a believer. I don't know how I'm gonna stay in a position of faith, but God, if you will take me, here I am. And that, 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 that is our response to you today. God, here I am. Here I am. And God, we pledge to give you the highest praise the highest glory for who you are, for what you've done, and for what you will continue to do in and through the lives of simple believers with ordinary obedience. Father, we love you. We honor you today in Jesus' name. Come on, all God's people said amen.